Hey, I'm Dave Gerhardt, and you're listening to the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with today's top marketing leaders to talk about what they really do every day. My guest today is Sarah Varney. She's the CMO of Twilio. Sarah, here's a, here's a good icebreaker for you. You are the CMO at Twilio. Before we get into all the hot seat questions, I'm just curious, and I haven't asked you this yet, but how where you and I are recording this on the Thursday after the election, and I'm just curious, because I know a lot of people will be interested, what have you done from a marketing standpoint this week? Like, have you paused emails? Like, did, have you, did you and the team have a conversation about that? We did. It's a great question. Those are all, it's always a tough thing to, to figure out what to do, especially I think as a marketer in a B2B world, you know that Q4 is basically October to the second week of November that you're done. So like, this is like your last chance to generate pipeline for the year. So we tried to be pretty measured. We're not going out and like slinging eBooks this week. We're trying to be mindful but if someone's come to our site and are, this week and is already showing interest, we're not really turning off re- retargeting efforts, let's say, for example, because someone's already kind of raised their hand and said that they're, they're yeah. looking at Twilio this week. Yeah. So that's the way how, we're handling it. How does that, how does that, how did that come up on your team? I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, did you send an email to your team? Did somebody in your team bring it up? I'm just, how did that, how did that bubble up within your team? Yeah. I mean, I think unfortunately as a product of 2020, this is not the first time we've encountered it, right? Mm. Like we've had a lot of stuff that's, that's happened over the summer with things like, you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, where we've had to have similar conversations and, you know, you never want those situations to get you in a rhythm of talking about these things. But I think positive thing that's come out of this is like, what is the line you draw between your obligations as a marketing team to generate pipeline awareness for the company versus your, you know, social and moral obligations too. Yeah. It's like, if people want to buy, we'll talk to them, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's not, it's not the week to be, you know, sc- screaming about it. All right, let's get into the good stuff. I know everybody's excited that, that you're here. And by everybody, I mean me. I think people will know Twilio. You can go look it up if you don't know. But how do you articulate where marketing fits in Twilio's just overall business strategy? Yeah, marketing um, is a really interesting function within Twilio and much different, honestly, than where I came from. I was at Salesforce for 10 years prior to Twilio and it was very straightforward. We sold sales software to salespeople. It couldn't be more straightforward. Twilio is a little bit different. We had our roots in basically getting developers fired up about building customer engagement experiences. Up until about three years ago, our model was largely self-service. So get people interested through articles, tutorial content, or documentation, get them in the funnel and and get them doing something meaningful on the platform. As we've expanded our market and have focused on building out a sales organization, the the role that marketing plays is quite different. And not that we, we do have turned off any of the elements that we use to drive developer interest, but now we've added a second element, which is talking to line of business buyers. So how do we get how do we create demand where demand might not be there already? So how do we get head of digital to care about customer engagement? How do we get a head of contact center to think about moving their contact center efforts to the cloud? With that effort, we're much more focused on how do we enable our sales team to know the core plays that are going to open doors for them? How do we think about event programming that runs alongside of that to get the right influencers and decision makers in the room? And so, you know, I think over as the company strategy has evolved, so is the role that, that marketing plays within Twilio. So is there, I'm just trying to like, I was actually going to pull up your website, but do you, 
are you doing, is there like a freemium component to it or, or you're strictly supporting, like it's strictly sales supported marketing efforts, I guess. You can come in fully self-service at Twilio and, okay. and upgrade on your own with a credit card. So that still exists. Obviously, as you're doing a higher volume of business with us, it's it's to our customers' benefit to be engaged with an account team and and to, you know, just have a relationship more formally with Twilio. What's the mix of like the marketing channels that you're relying most on today? And pe- people love this because I think everybody wants to know, like, is there a channel I should be testing? Should I be trying something that you're not? So what, what's, what's the mix of channels that you're all using today? Yeah. I mean, it's nothing, I don't think it's anything radical. Unfortunately, I'm not going to like, you know, uh, unlock some, some brand new channel on this podcast. No, no, that's important. That's equally as important. Don't, that, don't spoil well, I, it. That, I, I, that's yeah. what I want people to hear. I want people to hear that. But like, well, I think we all face that, right? You walk into a QBR and a lot of executives will say, well, what's the silver bullet that's going to like you grow our pipeline 80% year over year. And I always say, I don't think it's, I don't think you can be distracted by like, one new, you know, bright, shiny channel, you've got to make sure that you're firing on on all all cylinders. And over time, that's going to build you a healthier funnel. So speaking to how marketing strategies evolved at Twilio, we definitely were originally more focused on organic content and documentation. And we spend a lot of energy there. We still do. But I think as we've moved up market into the enterprise, obviously programming like events and having more high touch executive events where people can get together and, and have some sort of, I, I'm, I'm always, I'm always trying to think about how we can build FOMO into our events. I think execs want to hear mm-hmm. from colleagues that look like them and the more that we can facilitate getting them in a room together and help short circuit some of their efforts when it comes to digital transformation or customer engagement you know, we're able to to provide value and and get more prospects in the door for 20. I love that. I got, I'm taking, by the way, what I do is I take notes like a madman during this and I got lots <laughs> of things to ask you. So buckle up. Okay. First thing you said, I want to build FOMO into our events. And I think that is such a great, that I don't think enough people are thinking about that, but can you give people an example? What What's the, what's like the best example of FOMO you've done so far? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to think like, you know, we were just talking before we got on this, you've got two little kids, I've got three kids, 10 and under. And what is the type of event that is going to convince you to take a night off from, you know, your family or, or you're going to go ask your wife, like, Hey, I got to go do X, Y, Z things that cool. Yes. You know, it better be pretty compelling. And so I think there's a couple things that can motivate people to show up and to, to hear your story, you know, mo- most authentic, authentically, I think it's from knowing that there's going to be other peers like them in the room that they're going to learn from. So it's not just like a, you know, Twilio pitch and us slinging our wares, but they're actually going to get to hear from other people that have roles like them and similar industries as them. And they're going to be able to, you know, accelerate their learning journey on whatever the, the product or service you're offering is or the category. So I think that's one thing. But I think it's second, and sometimes this can be as important, if not more important, is like, what is the thing that they can't get already, can't get access to already? So like any, you know, any of these people that are in certain levels in companies, they've got enough money to, to, you know, go to the local basketball game or go to, you know, whatever it is that we normally kind of shill as, you know, enterprise events. What is that unique experience that they can't orchestrate themselves? So for example, we hired a celebrity chef from, I think it was from Top Chef. I might be the wrong, the wrong show, Richard Blaze. He came in and did like a personal cooking experience with. Oh, like, that was you. I, I screenshotted that because I swear I saw, 
I think it was like a VC or so, who did you invite? I, I swear somebody that I saw on Twitter was like, was there. And I screenshotted it and I posted it in my group because I was like, this, 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 this is what I'm talking about. This is not about an event. It's not about generating pipeline. It's about creating this unique experience. And now here I am talk, talking about it. But yeah, okay, sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that is- No, but I mean, that's the, that's the, you know, the kind of thing. And I think about that through not just kind of our, our customer-facing events. I think about it through like sales fifths and other kind of incentive mechanisms. Right. You know, like what is going to get a, you know, rep super excited to, to do whatever you're trying to get them to do if it's pull business forward or- Mm. you know, sell more, cross-sell, whatever it is. But yeah, the Richard Blaze opportunity was was really exciting for our team. And we brought in logos that we didn't think were gonna, gonna show up because of that. And we figured out a unique angle for Twilio, right? So it wasn't completely random. Like he talked about the science of food and kind of nerded out on his approach to, to cooking and all that. And so, you know, I think it was success all around. That's awesome. That I heard one, I heard of an, another example of this that I heard. I mean, this is next level, but I think it might've been Splunk, like had Obama for like a 200, you know, they invited like their top 200 accounts and they had like a, you know, 90% conversion rate, you know, of course those people are going to show up, but I, I love that. And I think what's what, to me, the most important thing about what you said though, is the first part that you said, which is we first think about what is going to be the thing that's going to get them to go. And so I think like, this is such a thing that's missing in marketing today, which is if I'm trying to sell to you, Sarah, if I'm selling to CMOs, I got to know this is Sarah. She's a CMO. She's a busy exec. She's got three kids. She's home right now. Like I, I need to feel that. So, cause how can I market to you if I can't actually feel what you, what you're doing? And if I can't get, get inside your head, how do you, how do you train, how do you train the team on that? Like, how do you build that into, into the culture? I mean, I think it's all in the details. I always say like what takes marketing from good to great is that like last 5%. And it's and it's in those details. It is knowing like that, just like what you rattled off about, you know, my schedule or my, you know, day-to-day and what I care about. A lot of my directs came with this skill, but for, you know, I also try to embed it in team meetings and all hands and everything else. It's like, it's the like, so what? Like, why should someone care about this? Like what what is like, what you know what's really the net net of this and it, it get like i i um i'll bring up an example of a training we did this summer we were training our reps on some of our core use cases and behind each use case was a customer story and one of the stories that was presented to me was around blue apron you know blue apron the food delivery service yep, yep. and it was factual it was accurate you know blue apron uses sms and with x percent deliverability and that super accurate but we missed the opportunity to tell a really compelling story. Like, and for me, you know, Blue Apron's like right in my mom wheelhouse. Like Blue Apron right. makes sure that busy parents get a healthy meal on their table at least two to three nights a week. And the reason that they're so successful is that they build trust with their customers. And at the heart of trust is customer communications. You know, it's just like yeah. those. And it's the detail of like, you know, knowing that Blue Apron's going to deliver it on my doorstep at 6 p.m. It's like the on my doorstep at 6 p.m. that makes it be like, oh, that's my life. Like that, that resonates with me. I get why that it, and it helps people remember it. So I'm not directly answering your question, but I do think like it is that it's the detail that makes marketing compelling and pushes people over the edge. Yeah, I, I I agree. One of my favorite copywriting lines is David Ogilvy has a line that says there are no dull there are all, there are no dull products, only dull writers. And I like to 
And I, I, there are definitely boring products. That's obviously not a true quote. However, I like to take that mindset to marketing, which is like, hey, my job here at this company, wherever, like if Twilio or, or Privy, right, is like, my job is to tell the best story that I can about this thing. And so in that context, what ingredients do I have to tell it? Okay. I got, I got to try to go. There's so many things I got to talk to you about. So before we talked about events, we talked about content. How do you measure organic content? Because we talked to a lot of people that are doing ABM focus on enterprise and they struggle with how do I do content for enterprise and how do I measure that? And how does content drive pipeline? So how do you, how do you all think about content? I think about it in a couple of different ways. I think you have to think about content throughout the funnel, right? So you've got awareness content and that, you know, I, I try to hold the line of awareness content should really be very little about your product itself and very much about the category. And just kind of by definition, that's what, what it should be. And that's harder to measure. Anything at that level of the funnel is harder to measure. But I think that you can, you can look at, you know, generally at that level, what posts are consumed the most, and kind of double down on those themes, right? Like when we came into COVID, we saw a huge surge in interest for healthcare for Twilio. And so we mm. uh, really focused on building an arsenal of customer stories that mapped to that, built out kind of use cases and also just kind of best practice content on healthcare and communications. And so that's, you know, one area we focused. Are you measuring leads from content traffic? Like what do you measure? We'll look at traffic primarily when it comes to content. At that level, I'd say at at, uh, at the uh, top of funnel and, and and even mid funnel to a certain extent, and then we get more into the like ebook content and stuff that you're gonna you know actually have a lead form in front of. But you know, primarily we're looking at at traffic and growth in organic traffic, and then we look at you know underneath that what is from a from an article perspective what is performing the best. Okay, let's put a wrapper on all this, which is like, can you can you tell me about your your goals as as a CMO? What are the measurable goals that you are, are responsible for and then like setting for the team right now? At the highest level, I think the goal of marketing or the function of marketing is to make markets. And so at Twilio, we are like, I'm, my team is largely tasked with how do we usher Twilio into its next chapter and its next phase of growth. So going from just being a communications company that's known for delivering SMS for a company like Uber to a full customer engagement platform that can serve the largest contact centers, the, the most complicated customer engagement journeys in the world. Like at highest level, that's our, that's our mission. Yep. When it gets to like the daily, like run of the business and you know, what obviously our sales organization cares about and, and you know, what the street cares about. I really try to focus on three metrics. My philosophy here, I try to find the smallest amount of metrics that'll motivate the biggest part of my team. That's kind of, I, okay. cause I think there's, you know, 50 metrics you could track as a marketing team on a daily basis. There's more than that. But I really focus on developer signups because that's kind of the, the very top of the funnel for us. I focus on sales, sales qualified leads. So how many leads are we actually passing to, to sales that, are, that they deem worthy? And then pipeline. So those are the three metrics awesome. that I start like every team meeting, every all hands, I'm a broken record on that. Awesome. This is great. This is the stuff that people love because... People want to know, what do you report on? How do you set goals? But then also people are going to look at that and say, wait, Sarah, but you gave me, you gave me three, but, but what about, what about blog traffic? And what about video views? And what about podcast downloads? And what about social media followers? And so how, how would you, how would you answer that? I still, I think those are all still important and numbers that we all track. Like I track with, with certain parts of my team, 
But in terms of motivating my broader team and, you know, who aren't all blog writers or who aren't all, you know, focused on documentation or whatever it might be, or not like our social media manager, I try to focus on the smallest amount of numbers so people can like internalize those better and have a better sense of what good looks like and how, how worried or pumped they should be at any point in the quarter. And I just think that those three metrics encompass enough to do that. I love it. I simplify. Also, it also, it follows the rule of three, which makes it highly memorable. I bet you most people can rattle off those metrics for you. I think it's great because I think it's, it does simplify marketing, but do you also use this as like a, Hey, like, if these three things are on track, we can go try all the crazy new ideas that, that you want. Yeah. I mean, I think there is some comfort in that. It's rare that all, you know, not, Hey, it's hard to say, like it, it, for the most part, all three kind of move together, but sometimes they don't. And so yeah. I, and they're, they, there's different levers behind each of them too. So it's always going to be, this is what I don't, I didn't realize until recently. It, it's always, they're always going to be, each one of them needs to grow always. Yeah. Like, exactly. And once you accept that, you can be feeling good about want, like you're feeling good about developer, developer signups, but SQLs are down. You're feeling okay. really good about SQLs, but pipeline is down. It's always going to be something. I saw a recent feedback thing and it was like, Dave, you, you're, you feels like you're ping, you ping pong priorities a lot. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's these three. We got to be able to do all of these three things. <laughs> how, how do you, how do you balance that with, with your team? Like how do, how does your team then take these and say, I own, cause ultimately you're just a CMO. All you do is set the goals, right? You can't actually go and do these things. Right. And so how do you empower the team to then take these goals and, and, and make them, make them actions? Yeah. So we have a pretty, we have a planning process at Twilio that I really like. And I, I have everyone on my team adopt all the way down to the IC level, which some people grumble about because they're like, why do I have to build out this huge, you know, year-long strategy? And my my feedback is always like, everyone should have a strategy. I don't care what level of the org you are in, you should have a plan of how you're going to tackle the year. Because otherwise, you'll look back on the year and be like, I just, I was reactive and just like basically answered email all year. So I really try to instill that in my team. What's the goal set? What is it called? So it is called um, the BPM. And so it stands for Big Picture Priorities and Metrics. and Overall, the big picture shouldn't change that much from, you know, for the next, you know, three to five years, it should be just what it is, the big picture. And then you go down to your top, I'd say like six to seven priorities for the year, even within that. So like priority one might be like, hit the numbers or priority one might be build a big, you know, build a high performing brand, whatever. But within that, I also try to call out, I don't just, because these priorities with the, the amount of real estate the team has to cover the priorities even at six or seven can still get pretty big. So I also try to call out individual like big bets within each priority that we really want to make sure that we land by the end of the year so that people have real specific actions and projects that they're expected to drive. And they don't just kind of say like, Oh, well, you know, we built the brand and there's no real like concrete, you know, thing to say how we think we did that in a year. Yeah. I, I love it. I think people, I think, this is a beneficial process for, for a lot of people. So you, you share the BPM and then do each, does, does each person create their own BPM? Is it like, you know, how OKRs you might, here's, here's the overarching team ones, and then everyone's going to fill out how they contribute to that. That's right. It comes all the way from our, our e-team on down and it cascades down to, to every level. And I think some managers, you know, there's, there's some discretion as to how far you want that 
push down to your org. But again, I just think everyone should have a plan and it just helps people. It's going to help people move up faster yeah. in their careers if they've, they've got that mindset early on. I think it's smart because what, what you just said is, is important, right? Which is like, it forces you to be, even if you, you don't have a budget yet, or you don't even have any, you don't even have an intern reporting to you yet. What it forces you to do is, oh, I got to think about how I make a plan. Like I remember making my first marketing plan and being like, I don't know. I have no idea how to do this. Well, you got to make it up. You have to. And so now you, you learn how to plan and the whole process becomes easier. And so if you can make a plan for blogging, huh? Now you can also probably make a plan for content overall. And if you can make a plan for content, you can make a plan for demand gen. And it, it really does build on each other. So that's, it's cool that you do that. Okay. What's the mix of your, what's the mix of your team? How many, how many people are on your marketing team? If you can try to like break down the org and reporting structure, this is where people, they pull over their cars, they do whatever they're doing. This is like the section that people die for. So let, let's give them what they want. <laughs> Well, I have about 250 people on the marketing team right now. And I think the the benefit of the way we're structured is that we really get to see the full marketing scope from soup to nuts. So product marketing lives in marketing today, corporate comms, developer relations, which I think is really a great function to be part of marketing at Twilio just because we are so developer-centric and it's at the heart of everything we do. Brand, growth, demand gen, and field and events. So those are the core, the core functions and solutions. Okay. Marketing. Sorry. How, ma- how many, how big was your, how big was your team at Salesforce? So when I left Salesforce, I was running product marketing for sales cloud, the main product. That team was about 65, but you know, we obviously relied on a bunch of shared services and the, the team overall that supported us was, yeah, was quite well, large. I mean, two, 250, you can be amazing at your job and I'm, you are, but I, I can't imagine that you know, it's the easiest thing in the world to manage a team of 250. So what's, what's different? I mean, even 60 is, is 60 is a lot of people just, you know, whatever the multiple people. So I don't even know what I'm trying to ask, but like, how do you, what are your secrets for managing a 250 person org? Like you can't be, and you, you got three kids and you're working at home. Like, how do you, what is your system other than I have good people on on the team? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the, the first textbook answer is that you hire good people to, to, you know, be great at their respective function. There's no way with the functions I rattled off, there's no way that one, anyone person is going to be an expert at that. Yeah. But I think secondarily to that, I think that like one thing I really try to, to focus on and remind myself to do is to keep a pulse on the team at all levels. So I do, my, my assistant will get mad at me, but I do a ton of skip level one-on-ones. I do a lot of, I've always have very much an open door policy for people to come to me with anything that they have an issue with, or, you know, if they want any sort of advice or mentorship or whatever it is. And when I started Twilio, the team was much smaller, so it was easier to do this. But I literally sat down with everyone on the team. I think we were probably like 85 people at the time and did a half hour one-on-one yeah. for my first you know, couple months. Just to, and that just helped me get a feeling for you know, where we were underfunded, where things were working well, and just kind of understand what any baggage I was walking into, any of that. And so I just think that's really important, no matter what size your team is, to like to really keep a pulse on, on what's happening in all different parts. And especially the parts where you didn't come up from, like I was a product marketer in my whole career. So I know that function pretty well. And I think it's really important to push yourself into the functions that you don't have 15 years of experience in or whatever, however many years of experience in so that you're, you're staying on top of your blind spots too. 
I love what you said about the skip levels because you you can you can learn so much more about the team. And I've I've never had a team of of that size, but I can feel it in small senses where basically you're you're almost pattern matching. Like you see one thing, but then if you go and talk to all these other people, you kind of like you, you talk to all these people who might, who might not always be talking and working together. And so you can see at a level of like, Oh, these people are clearly are not talking. I got to get them to talk. Yeah. And it goes back to that, like specificity, right? When you like, it's when you only hear about like, Oh, you know, Jira tickets are stacking up in, in aggregate. It doesn't, it's not as painful as when you talk to like individual contributor and product marketing and they're like, I can't get, I haven't been able to get this one page up on this one feature for three months. You're like, Oh, well, that sucks. Like, let me yeah. go help you with that. And you're you like, know? Can we, let's fix that right now. Like, right. Like, so I think it's, it's hard to get that when you're only interfacing with the people that deal with the aggregate problem. So you have this team outside of the team stuff, actually t- talk a little bit about the rhythms that you have with the, with the team. So how often, how often do you meet with your one-on-one, the broader teams, whatever bigger stuff that you're kind of involved with? Yeah, I have one-on-ones with my directs every week half an hour, an hour, just depending on what kind of is going on and what we need to, we need to tackle. I have a weekly leads meeting every week, one week a month. We use it to do more of a deep dive on metrics and just help with the business. I used to do that every week, but I start getting, it starts turning into a pipeline council. So I like, I'm mindful of like, who's in the, who's in the leads meeting? Just all of my directs. And there's just some people that don't want to know, like, it's just not the best use of their time to be like deep diving into like what's happening for Salesforce pipeline and UKI, you know, that's, and that's, that's where those discussions could often go. So I, we, we decided to make it more that a one, once a month situation. Okay. And then, you know, the other three weeks we'll focus on whatever is topical. There's often housekeeping stuff that's just going on in terms of business planning or, or QBRs, but then we'll also talk about something like, Sorry, my dog is parking in the background. No, it's good. Uh, this is what we're here for. I've done, look, before before being in this office where I am now in my house, for about three months, I was doing podcasts, like hiding in my bathroom and my daughter would be screaming, <laughs> banging on the door, trying to come in. So I'm, I'm, we can make anything you want. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's the case of the team that do a monthly all hands. And then through COVID, I've been trying to do every month or every six weeks, a fun all hands for the group and something that's really not, that doesn't have to do with work. So we brought in like Second City, the improv troupe to do a post, nice. you know, uh, signal celebration. I brought in an organizer, like a, a productivity coach to talk about how to organize your day and how to think about kind of tackling a quarter. So I try to, to, to do something a little bit less explicit towards work and, you know, more fun or work-life balance oriented. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole part of the, a huge part of your job is you got a team of 250 people. Everybody's remote right now. How do you keep everybody talking, working together, collaborating? It, was the whole, was that whole 250 in, in one office or is that split? It's split. That's all, you know, that's global. So, okay. and we actually, to our benefit, our team was pretty distributed pre-COVID. So the transition hasn't been too hard. I just think everyone's yeah. going through the same Zoom fatigue. And- right. Right. How do you, all right. How do you, how do you get in the weeds? There's stuff that you're going to always want to be involved in, right? Like my, one of my favorite billboards was, I haven't been to San Francisco in, in a year now because of COVID, but on the one-on-one that the Twilio ask your developer billboard is one of my favorite ads. And I, I show that all the time as like a great example of copywriting. My guess is you, you had to be involved in, in a media buy like that. You're involved in that. So 
how do you how do you get involved and how do you pick what stuff to get involved in? I want to get involved because I want to do what's right for Twilio, but also just personally and selfishly, I think when you're when you become a, a generalist or a head of marketing, you still want to get in there and prove that you can like flex your muscles a little bit and have it like I still got it, you know. Selfishly, there's a little bit of that in me too. Yes. Uh, and it's good because then you're, you know, you're able to coach people better too. You can't be so far, you can't be in some ivory tower and so removed from the work. But yeah. Know. But how, how do you, how do you do it? Like the thing that I always mess up though, is like, how do you do it without blowing up the team? Right? Like, how do you, how do you do it without being too, you know, you come in the last minute. So I'm interested in like, how do you pick which stuff to be involved in? Does the team know, oh, this is, this is a Sarah level thing. We got to bring her in. Like, how do you just, or how do you casually poke around and be like, Ooh, I don't like that headline. There is a little bit in the day to day so that people recognize like where I'm like, and it's not just about me and what I'm focused on, but like what I view as good to look like. So there is that like, Hey, look, this, you know, social post looks a little bit like a picture you'd see in your dentist's office. Like, don't, I don't want that. You know, like I, I try to like, I try to use examples so that people like, it's not just this one thing that they're hinged on. Like, Oh, Sarah doesn't like, like, you know, beach scenes. I try to really put a fine point on it so that, I don't have to give like 20 examples of what I mean. And I, you know, I try, so I try to give clarity where I can. And then there's just obvious things where I like campaign themes. Like I, I try, I really try to be part of the process early on so that we all decide and then we all kind of march forward together. And that, so I don't have to be like this helicopter manager who comes in last minute and like blows everything up. And so I think that we've gotten in a pretty good cadence on the, uh, on, in, you know, at Twilio in general, kind of knowing what those, those big items are. And it is like, it's the billboard level. It's the, what the, you know, what the homepage of the website is. There is a way to like, yeah. Figure out like, what are the high visibility things that we all should really be in agreement on before they, they go to prime time. And so I think that's how they've learned what to, to put in front of me and what can go. And I'll be explicit too. I'll just say, you know, thanks for including me. Really appreciate the heads up. I trust you on this. You don't have to show these things to me. You know, just, I think that's important too. Sometimes right. people don't forget to say right. that. Well, and on the, on the flip side of that, you can say, Hey, by the way, this is something I care a lot about. So I'd love to see, I'd love to see the version before it goes out. So you're a CMO, you talked about, you came up through product marketing. People love this question too, because for some reason, and I've been there when you're in the role of individual marketer, you're like, how am I ever going to be CMO? I'm, I just know product marketing. I don't know demand gen. I don't know content, but you know, talk to somebody like yourself. You came up through product marketing. I think Shannon, who's the CMO at LinkedIn, she came up through comms and, and, and PR. Heather, who's the, the CMO at, at Pluralsight, I think she came up through product marketing. There's a whole Salesforce product marketing mafia, I think too, by the way. And so how do you talk, talk to that person who was, who was you, who may be like, is a director of product marketing right now and is like, shoot, how do I bridge the gap from here to become CMO? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it totally depends on what company you are at to a certain extent. And then I think it, it depends on your your appetite to, to take risks. Uh, you know, I was lucky I was at Salesforce pretty early on and I started on our partner ecosystem, which was, I, I was in it like my title said product marketing, but I also had the benefit of, of thinking about partner programs, which was a different beast and had some kind of campaign elements to it. So that was, that was one thing in my corner. But then I also, you know, my... My boss at the time got tapped to run a business unit at Salesforce that was an acquisition. And she was like, come run marketing for me. And I'm like, I don't know anything about this. You know, I don't know anything about demand gen. Like, this is, you're crazy to hire me. And she's like, oh, you'll figure it out. Don't worry, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so 
she really, you know, it was scary for me. I was in a comfortable job. I was on a good trajectory where I started at Salesforce, but you know, I knew that I was going to learn a lot. I, I might, yeah, there was the potential I was going to get fired in six months, but <laughs> I was going to learn a ton. And I did. And I, you know, I, I figured out, I think early on how to hire the right people underneath me. Like I said earlier, no one expects a CMO to be like a plus on all those different dimensions. It's really hard to find that all in one person because you cover a lot of ground. But, you know, I think taking that risk with that role at Salesforce really helped me round out my skill set. So at least I knew like, all right, here are the broad categories in marketing I need to know about. Here's like the talent I need to look for. And even mm. though it was probably the smallest amount of pipeline I had, I had managed over the course of my, my roles at Salesforce, I think I probably learned the I was prepped the most in that role to actually do what I'm doing today. I love how you think about that, by the way. Like you think of what you worked on by pipeline. That's a revenue marketer right there. I love that. I also think what you said is 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 going to be liberating for people, which is like there no no CMO is going to be able to be in, you know, a hundred out of hundred in every core area of marketing. And I think it says it sounds like you had a great relationship with that boss, because I think it says a lot about that boss to be like, it must have felt nice to for you to be like, yeah, you, I, I trust you. You figured out the way you think about product marketing. I want to use that same brain and you'll be able to apply it to everything else. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's more like, you know, general career advice. You know, when people ask me, I said, they said, oh, you know, how did you make it up the ranks to be CMO? And I'm like, I, I you know, partially I, you know, picked the right kind of function to move towards and, and built a broad skill set. But I also followed great people. I followed great managers. And I just, I don't think you can go wrong on that front. Um, I was really lucky to have the set of managers that I've had coming up the ranks. Yeah. This is what I mean. I haven't asked you a single question that I've written, but this is this is great. Okay, what are the biggest marketing challenges that you have today? Because I got to be honest, I'm looking at it from the outside. I'm like, everybody knows the Twilio product is insane. The company's growing like crazy. I'm like, you have the best marketing job in the world. So tell me, please make me feel better about myself. What challenges do you have in marketing? Well, I mean, I think it, I think what's interesting to Twilio is having an, a brand that's both authentic with a developer and a line of business audience and you know, where I came from at Salesforce, there's just a different expectation from, from a sales ops buyer or a VP of sales buyer. Like they have to plan for, you know, a couple years ahead in terms of roadmap when they're building out their systems. And so you could launch something that is not going to be available for six months or a year. And that's completely fine and acceptable in that market. When you come over to Twilio, a developer, if you say something's ready, they want to touch it that day. And if it's not available there, you, you erode trust with that base. And so we have to be really mindful about how we speak to both audiences at the same time and make sure that we're not over-promising in a category that, you know, really relies on things being available when you, when you say they're going to be ready. So that's, that's been, you know, learning for me and something that I always kind of have to balance. And it, it, it flows down to content too, you know, whereas a line of business audience might want to hear more from just a different set of speakers, you have to be mindful of what's going to resonate with developers. And so that's something where I'm always, again, trying to check in with people where, which is not necessarily my, my heritage in marketing. I work very closely with our developer relations team to be like, hey, does this feel right to you guys? Is this like how you guys would think about things and make sure that you know, I'm not taking our brand too far astray? So, so they're, they're almost like an internal, so, so it's, it's good that you have that team in general, but also because then they're almost like a filter for you to run messaging and copy through. Yeah. And keynotes and demos and, and everything. And so they're, they're the best built-in focus group you could have. 
So what is, what is, who's that like a person who's, who can think like a marketer, but knows, can talk to developer? Like, what is that role? Yeah. So we have a team of developer evangelists that are really kind of our feet on the ground when it comes to getting developers to know, know, use and love Twilio is what we say. And so in normal times, they're out at over, I'm not kidding. It's the real number. They're out at over 400 events a year, Whoa. Uh, hackathons, meetups, third party kind of big software events that you'd expect talking about Twilio and getting people excited about it. And they are super creative. They're the best people to like, they'll come up with the craziest names for things. They come up with really fun ideas for demos. They come up with great ideas about how to to connect Twilio to other technologies that developers are interested in right now. And so I'm just, I'm super fortunate to work with all of them. Have you had to find a way to backfill 400 events from like a pipeline perspective? Yeah, it's been tricky for sure. We had a ton of uh, events on the line of business side too that were huge pipeline drivers for us. And ba- sorry, I'm clearly wired for pipeline. No, uh, you shouldn't apologize. Say it more. People will pick it up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we absolutely had to kind of had to reimagine a lot of, of what we were doing there. There's a, a number of events that have gone virtual that we participated in. You know, those aren't all the 400 events are not first party. Obviously, there are a lot of events where we're showing up. So we've tried to, to latch onto those. But we've also had to rethink some of our own programming that we run firsthand. We have a program called Superclass, which is kind of video game-based approach to learning, getting skilled up on Twilio. And normally we would do that in person for like a four-hour straight hands-on thing in some of the you know top cities where we're we're trying to build awareness. And so we figured out how to make that you know shorter, more consumable online, and how to you know deliver that virtually. So that's one example. Our user event is another great example. You know, that's your typical Moscone West, you know, however many, you know, people you get in a room there, keynote, big whole deal, booths and the, you know, you name it. And so we had to reimagine that to be completely virtual this year, which was a super fun project for the team. I don't know if they'd call it fun first, but (laughs) I found it to be really exciting and fun. And they just, they completely knocked the cover off the ball. They did a great job. And you know, we also had to think about how we use our own, how we can incorporate our own technology to make that possible. So we had Twilio Powered Chat and we had, you know, our flex experience behind the scenes to answer any customer questions. And we used our video product to you know, facilitate one-on-one. So I was just really proud of, of uh, you never want a global pandemic to force the team to do this, but I was really proud of how the team pivoted and, and created a great event. Do you think like, as, as you're all planning for 21 right now, do you think you're going to have in-person events or are you going to do more stuff like this and just now have a year to do it? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really hard to say. I think that uh, we are, we don't anticipate us doing any live events, at least in the first half of the year. You know, we're hopeful that things open up a little bit in the second half. I imagine that we, you know, if all things are clear that we will start to do some of the exact events and, and smaller events yeah. uh, in the back half of the year. But even like post, let's say post vaccine, when we all can go and do whatever we want again, or, you know, whenever this is much less of an issue, I do imagine a world where you have both. I don't, I think that you, you're, I can see a world where you have the in-person experience, but you also create the, the virtual side. And we yeah. saw a huge, I mean, it's obvious as to why, but like we saw a huge lift in attendance from our EMEA and APAC markets for a virtual conference this year and, and the same level of engagement after. So it wasn't even yeah. just, you know, but like, like even, even still, even, even within person events, you could do like 
it sounds funny to say, but a year ago, you probably could have done that Zoom, you know, the with the with the chef, like with the celebrity chef. That that would have been amazing, and nobody was doing it at the time, and so it would have yeah. been an amazing idea. That that still would hold up. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap in a couple minutes, but can you talk about Martech tools and 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 kind of what the Martech stack is for Twilio? We are, you know, Marketo users. We use Tableau. We use Salesforce. We, we have some ABM tooling in place. I'm not as like well versed on everything that we're using there. I'm going to get all the vendor calls tomorrow now that I'm doing this. And you are. Do you, do you, what, what is your level like on the tech side? Are you exploring technology? Is somebody on your team like keeping an eye out? Cause I've had this thought lately that I, I should be paying, I should be like finding the next thing out there. You know, how, how do you, how do you do that as CMO? I generally rely on my team for, yeah. for their recommendations on that front. I am not as like, that is one place where I'm not. Speaking to the like, what are you in the weeds on? What are you not? That's the area where <laughs> you're like, I got us a, I got us a twenty percent discount on Salesforce. That was my job. All right, next. <laughs> right, right. That is one area where I do rely on my head of growth to to surface new ideas for us. But you know, I do get involved into like, I'll get involved when it comes to like what the technology actually does. Like, I'm like, hey guys, what's our EVM strategy? I yeah. less care about like how we're doing that, but I'm you know more want to know the philosophy of like how we're going after that or nurturing, like what is our nurture strategy? Who are we targeting? What's behind this? And then I trust them to pick the right tool to execute on it. If you could solve any one marketing problem that hasn't been solved yet, what, what would it be? So, you know, like people would say like, I wish I could get perfect attribution on brand. You That's what I was going to say. I was going to yeah. say attribution is just like, I think we'd all be sitting on a beach somewhere if we could, uh, if we could figure that out. But listen, yeah. people, people that are listening right now, this is important. I need <laughs> you to pay attention. Every single CMO that I've had on has said that attribution is an issue. And, and I'm saying that because if you are not Twilio and you're maybe a SaaS company doing $7 million, you don't need to spend in a three months out of your year fixing attribution. Focus on growing the freaking funnel and fix attribution. Attribution is always going to be an issue. It's never going to be perfect. It isn't. And that's why I really try to stress, like, you know, sometimes we'll get really wrapped around the axle around a particular, we call them horsemen. We have four horsemen that contribute to our pipeline number. You know, it's like inbound, inbound sales, outbound sales, AEs and, and partners, or inbound marketing. Sorry. I love this. You, I, now I got everything now. I got the, the three metrics. We get the three metrics and the way that you drive the three metric is, is, is the four horsemen. Somewhat, although signups is more product. Oh, I guess it's not really really. Yeah, it's not that perfect. Sorry, I, I don't work at Twilio. I've I've known this for forty minutes. It sounded good though. It, it was I I like where you're going with it. <laughs> right. But anyways, getting back to the four. I mean, sometimes we'll get like very wrapped around the axle, like uh, inbound and what's happening there and whatever. And we should. I mean, we should have that level of inspection. And we want to know that our investments paying off. But I I always try to stress like let's focus on the aggregate pipe number. And how we're getting it to get get into that together. So I've just I've been in too many situations where it becomes this like fight between marketing and sales that's not productive and you waste a bunch of time like trying to pinpoint who did what instead of just like focusing on mm. how to move forward and build pipeline overall. Yeah. So one question that's been coming up a lot is like, how do you, is how do you manage up and present to the CEO and present to the board? And I think one thing that's interesting about everything that you've shared is grounded in revenue, is grounded in pipeline. And like, you can tell that you are a, C, C, a CMO who has plenty of experience presenting to, to boards and legit, you know, your public company now, but it's all, it's all rooted in that. Is, is that, what would your advice be to somebody who's like, I need to level up how I present? What are the things, what are the things the board and the CEO want to care about? It's this stuff, right? Pipeline. 
I definitely think you you don't want to give a presentation up the chain without talking about the core business metrics that the board and that your e-team cares about. Like that's pretty, you know, that's just table stakes. But I do think if you're not having, if you're not leading with a broader strategic conversation about where you're taking the brand and where markets you think the company should go into, you're going to be viewed as more of a short-term tactical person and not someone who can grow with the company and know what's around the corner and lead the company to that. How do you get on the same page with the with the CEO as as a CMO? Because like I think it's it's so important to be in lockstep. You you have to have a CEO who's bought into marketing. Your life is just going to be so much harder if you're always swimming upstream against a CEO saying why why do we have a podcast? Why are we blogging? You know how have you gone and built that relationship with your CEOs? I think that you have to just as I'd say managing any relationship, whether it's someone on your team or someone above you, you have to understand what motivates them. And again, what do they care about? What needs to hit their desk before it goes live and build trust with them that way. And I think, you know, you have to bring value to the table too. Yeah. You don't want to just come and report the news and report pipeline and report, you know, signups like I've, you know, I've been talking about. You also want to come to them with ideas for how you can grow Twilio, how you are thinking about things that they don't have time to think about. And I think that's what, you know, builds trust over time. And then I think, but you don't want to just hinge on like quarterly business reviews or, you know, every six week check-in and whatever. You should also like do this, you know, with some mindfulness to their schedules and time. But like, I think it's fine to like send a Slack that says, Hey, I thought I, you know, I, I know you've been looking for X, Y, and Z example. Like I saw this the other day, I thought I'd forward, you know, I think it's good to just build like a more casual relationship too, because out of that, I think a lot of it comes down to taste and a lot of that is subjective. And I think the more at bats you get with your CEO to figure out what they like and don't like the better, better you're going to be set up. A hundred percent. You just said it. It's like, it's just like marketing, right? What did you say? You said you have to, you have to know what they care about. So how can I know? Like I have to understand what the CEO cares about, but then I love that. So you'll just be randomly say, Hey, here's a billboard concept I like, or here's an event theme that I like. Do you like this one? Cause you could, you could really go design and create anything, but the feedback loop is going to be much shorter. If I already know, Oh, I know that Jeff, whatever likes, likes these types of things. And so this is going to, this is, I'm going to be better built for success first if you've never talked about it, you and the, you and the team go, go spend six weeks doing it. He sees it and he's like, what? Then, then right. that's where everybody gets in trouble. You got to show your work early. I also love that you, what you said about being pro, you have to be proactive about just ideas about how to grow the business, like beyond marketing, right? Are, so are you chiming in on, are you like, I'm assuming there's some type of like leadership team chat and you're, you're, you're talking about stuff beyond just marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talk, you know, across the whole business and across product, especially like, what are the things we need to focus on to open new markets or open new TAM? And, you know, I try to, to use the feedback, especially again, from our developer evangelist team who are, you know, really at the, they're really at the tip of the spear for the company, getting the feedback from them and making sure the rest of the company is hearing it. Okay, Sarah, this is awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. We'll, we'll let you off of, off the hot seat. Last question before I go, by the way, you've just catapulted. You're my new favorite CMO. Congratulations. It goes on an episode basis. So we'll see. Uh, But um, give me, tell me one, give me one other CMO that, that I should try to have on, especially now that you know that this is an enjoyable podcast. Who who should I go and get? You should talk to Julie Legal. I think that she's fantastic. I've got all my, my Salesforce heritage or Trisha Gelman. 
Yeah, I should have Trisha on actually. That would be great. Okay, I got two. I got two. I'm yeah, Trisha, go. Trisha, and Julie. Okay, Sarah. This is my title for like the next two weeks until you do your next podcast. Well, you don't know when I'm going to publish the next episode, so we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll keep you on here. Sarah Varney, this was awesome. I appreciate you. Have a good rest of the day, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you like this content, I have a whole lot more where that came from. It's in my private marketing group called DGMG. There's almost 2,000 members in there. 80% of them are B2B marketers. And it's been an amazing community that we launched over a year ago. Uh, I've already posted over 400 different types of content in there, articles, videos, blogs, podcasts. You can go and check it all out. Patreon.com slash Dave Gerhardt. It's an amazing place to be. Plus, I do exclusive AMAs with these podcast guests in our group. And it's the only place I post the full transcript and show notes. So you might want to go check it out. Patreon.com slash Dave Gerhardt. I also want to give a shout out and a thank you to our friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing at usedhatch.fm. It's awesome. They're helping me with the show. It's why it sounds so great. And you should go and check it out too. See you on the next episode.